0: Let's uh, take our Bibles to the book of Job, chapter number 2, this morning. I think my favorite passage of Scripture is found in Philippians 3, where Paul speaks of the motivation of his life, is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And friend, I, I really believe that there is no greater pursuit in life than to know the Lord. To truly know Him. That begins in salvation. In entering that relationship with Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the door. That's that's the entrance. We have to come to the Father through Jesus the Son. And then as we receive Him as Lord and Savior, it doesn't end there. It's not like, okay, now I'm saved and I'll go to heaven someday and I'm taken care of. No, that's really just the beginning of a journey of drawing closer to our Lord to become more and more like Him. And I hope that that is your heart's desire and pursuit today. Well, we're in Job. And uh, for the past several weeks on Sunday mornings, uh, we've been looking at the issue really of, of dealing with grief and sorrow and, and using Job as an example, Job is, is the, the longest book of the Bible that deals with this subject and, and, and how we deal with grief and, and the ways of the Lord and why do things happen uh, that, that cause grief to God's people and, and all of these things. So we've taken some time and really just walked through some of the principles of this book. And today I want to hone in on Job's friends, his comforters, Job's comforters. And uh, we're going to kind of bounce around a little bit in the book of Job. Our approach to this is not verse by verse. And typically when I'm preaching through a book of the Bible... Uh, that's what we do, we just take the next section and, and, and deal with that, but uh, just because of the nature of this book, I'm not going through it verse by verse, and so uh, we're going to have to do some flipping back and forth, and, and, and try and draw out some principles, and I hope that uh, will be of help to you. So Job chapter 2, if you're there, let's stand together as we begin reading in verse number 11. If you're not able to stand, that's perfectly acceptable, uh, but if you can, let's stand as we read. Job 2, verse number 11. I want you to listen in as we read, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came, every one, from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Thank you for standing. You can be seated this morning. Now... If you're familiar with the book of Job, and if you've heard much preaching on Job, you probably know that Job's friends, specifically these three friends mentioned in this passage passage of scripture, are mostly remembered for their failure in comforting Job. And, uh, and, And we often will talk about that, and really they get a bad rap. For a good reason. And we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But I want you to think about this. They were trying to do the right thing. After all, when someone is in a time of sorrow and grief, we are expected, are we not, to try to offer them comfort. This is a biblical concept. This is true for us as New Testament Christians, isn't it? Galatians chapter 6, and verse 2. It says, "...bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ." Well, what is the law of Christ? He said that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. If you're going to love your neighbor as Christ wants you to, you're going to have to be willing to bear other people's burdens. Uh, when you become a Christian, you don't just simply say, well, you know, I'm in, I'm in this for me, it's all about me and getting my needs met. No, we're to look on the needs of others, Right? We're to, we're to see the needs of other people and bear those burdens. Romans 12 and verse 15 says that we're to weep with those that weep. And 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14 tells us that we're to comfort the feeble-minded and to support the weak. And so really what, what these three friends of Job were doing in, in coming and trying to offer help to him, they had the right motivation and the right intention. Our friend is in a time of deep sorrow and deep grief. He's lost everything that is near and dear to him. He's lost his wealth. He's lost all ten of his children. And now even his health is failing him as his body is covered in boils and sores. Let us go and be a comfort to him. And so these three friends, even though they maybe failed in their effort, were trying to do the right thing. Now think about this. That's not always an easy task. If you have tried to walk with someone through a time of deep sorrow, you know that it's not always easy. It's it's a painful... uh, It's a painful journey that we walk with them, even though we're not necessarily the one who's directly influenced by whatever it is, whatever the trial is that they're facing, To try and walk with someone and to be there for support and help is not always easy to do. After all, what would you say to Job? I mean, if God told you, hey, okay, here's a man, he's your friend, he's lost everything near and dear to him, now I want you to go and comfort him, what would you do? And so, you know, even though, and I'm not trying to stick up for these guys because we're going we're to really lay into them here in a little bit of, of some of their areas of failure, but I understand this was not an easy job that they had to try and comfort Job. And it may be that there's someone that God has put in your life or at times, certainly we've had this in the church, where someone is in a time of deep sorrow and deep grief and we just wonder, how do I be there for them in the way that I'm supposed to be? How do I fulfill my responsibility as a brother or sister in Christ and try to walk with them through this? And honestly, I don't know that we always arise to the occasion as we ought to. And so we're going to look today at this concept of Job's comforters and learn some positives from them, also some things not to do, but ultimately try to look at how do we go about comforting those who are in a time of sorrow and grief. So the first thing I want to point out to you from the, the, the Job's comforters and, and their example of, of trying to help their friend is where it flourished, where their attempt to comfort Job flourished. Because, I, I, again, I want you to just notice that they, they actually did a pretty good job for the first uh, little bit here in trying to comfort their friend. We end chapter 2 and it seems like they're doing a good thing. They've come together. They're sitting with him. And they're just trying to be there for moral support. (laughs) They just sat there and said nothing. The reason was they saw that his grief was very great. They realized in that moment that there really was nothing they could do to ease the burden of Job. But what they could do was to come and walk with him and offer him comfort through the trial. And so when we, when we consider where this attempt at comforting Job flourished, the first thing I want to point out to you is that there was great intentionality in what they did. This was not a haphazard thing. Oh, I guess Job's, Job's kind of down in the dumps, and I guess if I run into him someday, uh, I'm, I, you know, I'll try and cheer him up. No, there was intentionality. Look what it says in verse number eleven. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came, every one from his own place. Eliphaz, this is their, these are their names. Eliphaz the Temanite, so he's in Teman, and Bildad the Shuhite, he's a short guy, and Zophar the Naamathite. Now, these these guys live in different areas. They're the friends of Job, and they're going to get up from their place where they are, and they're going to go and meet Job where he is. And if you look at the end of verse number 11, it says, "Together," uh, or I'm sorry, uh, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him." They, they, they had communicated with each other. Now I don't know how long this took. I don't know what the, what the idea was, but apparently it, it took some coordination. Uh, To say, hey, we're going to go and just be there for Job for a while. Job just needs some friends around him. And so let's let's pick a time that we can all go together. We're going to all leave our place. And we're just going to go and spend some time with Job. And can I say to you that if we're going to actually be of help to someone in a time of trial, in a time of sorrow and grief... It's going to take some intentionality and some thought and some, even some planning. How am I going to uh, make some adjustments and make some arrangements so that I can be there for my friend, for my brother or sister in their time of need? How, how can I uh, uh, do this? It, 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 took, it took intentionality, thought, preparation, and planning. They had made an appointment together. Again, how long that took, I don't know, but they came. Secondly, I want to say to you that this comfort where one area that it flourished not only was there intentionality, but there was also inconvenience. There was inconvenience. Look with me at verse number 11 again. So when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place. They left their homes, their families, their business whatever it was that they did on a daily basis, they They packed up and left to come and be with Job, and they didn't just come and say, I'm going to go hang out for an hour in between meetings. Verse 13 says, they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him. I mean, most of this book is a conversation back and forth between Job and his friends, but that didn't even start for seven days. I mean, there was an entire week that all they did was sit there and do nothing. They put their lives on hold in order to be there for him in his time of grief. I think this is very important. Again, as we try to bear one another's burdens, we have to be willing to allow ourselves sometimes to be inconvenienced. Can I say to you, church family, that, that the, the things that happen within our church, they're not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about serving the Lord by serving one another. And serving one another is not always convenient. It's not always, well, when I find the time, if I don't have something more pressing, more important going on, sometimes we have to be willing to drop what we're doing. To be there for one another. This is this is the the, the family, the body that the Lord has put us in. That we are to serve one another. They inconvenienced themselves in order to be there for Job. There was intentionality, there was inconvenience. And then thirdly, I want to show you that there was identification. They identified with Job's suffering. Look at this, verse uh, verse 12. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, why didn't they know him? Well, he didn't look the same. (laughs) This was a different Job than than what they remembered. They lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven, so they sat down with him upon the ground. Do you realize that in in ancient Eastern culture to tear your clothing and to put dust or to put ashes on your head and to sit down on the ground or sit down among the ashes was an expression of deep sorrow and grief? You know what they're saying here? Job, we are mourning with you. We are grieving with you. We are also in a time of pain because of what you are facing. Now this is important because... I think this is one area that we tend to fail because a lot of times we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, and so we, we have one of two reactions. One is, I'm going to, to deal with someone kind of at arm's length. I'm removing myself from the situation. Hey, brother, I'm praying for you. But not necessarily grieving with them. The other extreme is... Trying to identify with them in a way where we express that we somehow understand exactly what they're feeling. You know, I, I, I want to just acknowledge here that Job's three friends didn't come and sit down and say, Job, I know how you're feeling. My favorite cat died one time. And I, I mean, you know, that's kind of silly, but seriously, when someone's going through a time of deep, tragic loss, And we, you know, we try to relate in some way. Well, a lot of times it kind of falls on deaf ears. They didn't do that. They didn't come and say, Job, you know, I know that it wasn't quite the same, but overall I know how you're feeling. They didn't do that. They just came and they just sat there and they just mourned with him. Job, we're hurting because you're hurting. I, I believe there's something to that, friend. Just a willingness to, to, to embrace the pain with someone else and identify with them in their struggle and say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm here with you. I maybe don't... I'm not the one who's directly affected by this, but I am affected. You see, the Bible tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 12 that if one member of the body suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if we really are what we ought to be as a body in Christ when one of our brethren is hurting, we ought to hurt too. They identified with him. Now, that's where it flourished. But I want to talk for a moment about where it fell short. Because here's the thing, up to this point, they're doing a good job. They've taken their time, they've They put intentionality into this, this is what we're going to do. They came together, they coordinated the effort, they left uh, their lives behind for a little bit, they inconvenienced themselves to come and sit with him, and they just simply identified with him. But then chapters 3 through 37 (laughs) are mostly a conversation between Job and these three friends, though there's a fourth friend that chimes in at the end. Where these men are trying to reason through, why is this happening? Now, Job started it off, verse 1 of chapter 3, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day, and he goes on and, 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 and he complains, understandably so. Now, he wasn't sinning against God, and by the way, it's not wrong to feel pain and to grieve. Job was struggling to understand, God, why is this happening to me? But the problem was, and these friends chimed in and tried to help Job understand, as if somehow they understood. And I want to just skip forward a little bit here to chapter 16, because we, just don't, we don't have the time to read through all of the discourse back and forth between Job and these three friends, but I want to look at chapter 16 of Job, and notice how now after 12 or so chapters of this conversation, how now Job feels. Okay, we did really well for that first week that we just sat there, now what? Job chapter 16 in verse number 1, and then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things, Miserable comforters are y'all. Uh, hey guys, I know you came to try and help out. You're not doing a very good job. <laughs> You're miserable comforters. Look what he says. Shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldeneth thee that thou answerest? Also, I also could speak as he do. If your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you, but I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the moving of my lips should assuage your grief. Though I speak, my grief is not assuaged, and though I forbear, what am I eased? But now he hath made me weary, thou hast made made desolate all my company." And thou hast filled me with wrinkles, which is a witness against me, and my leanness rising up in me beareth witness to my face. What's he saying? Hey, guys, you came to help, and you've just made the problem worse. Because not only am I going through this trial, and, and, and it feels like the Lord is against me, but now you've made desolate all my company. <laughs> Even my friends, now, now I feel like there's something between me and my friends. You, you have not done a very good job. You say, wow, how, how could they be so bad? Well, they, they did a lot better when they were just quiet. But here's, what they, here's one area that they really failed. They started off by accusing Job of being at fault. Here was the premise. God is righteous... And because God is righteous, God blesses the righteous and curses the wicked. Now, is that true? In a sense, it's true. In a sense, it's not. In a sense, it's true there are blessings that come to the righteous, to those who walk with the Lord. We know that to be true. And you reap what you sow. That is a reality. However... The sun shines on the just and the unjust, and the rain falls on the just and the unjust, and good things come to bad people and bad things come to good people. And this isn't a hard and fast rule, and just because someone is going through a trial, that does not necessarily mean that their actions directly cause that trial. But this was something that Job's friends maybe hadn't quite wrapped their mind around. So in their mind, because God is righteous, we know man is sinful. If you're going through all of this, Job, it must be that you've done something wrong against God. And so their attempt at comfort was actually accusation. Look at verse number four. Job says, I also could speak as ye do if your soul were in my soul's stead. I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you. In other words, he's saying, that's what you're doing to me. You're just heaping up words against me. You're just shaking your head at me. You came to help, and all you're doing is accusing. Now, I understand that there are times that a person's trials are a direct result of their own actions. Sometimes it's reaping what they sowed. Sometimes it's, it's the chastening of the Lord. That is a reality. However, can I just encourage you, you are not the Holy Spirit. Let God be God. Let God be God. Let God deal with, with His children. It's not our job to chasten the brethren. It's God's job to chasten His children. Okay? And so, let God be God. You be a friend. If you want to comfort someone, be a friend. Their attempt at comfort was accusation. (laughs) Secondly, their attempt at comfort was to state the obvious. So much of what Job's friends say, and this is is so fascinating to me. I've told you how much I love the book of Job. Here's what's so fascinating to me about it. The vast majority of what his friends say to him is factually correct, but it's not right. (laughs) In other words, they, are, they, they conceptually understand some things, but they don't have understanding of the ways of God. And this is the issue. It wasn't that they were wrong in everything that they said, but it was misapplied and misunderstood. They're trying to reason through and understand something that they just simply don't understand. Go back to chapter 12, if you would, for a moment, we are going somewhere with this. Chapter twelve. Look at verse number one. It says, And Job answered and said, and I love this sarcasm, by the way, no doubt but ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. <laughs> you ever felt like telling someone that? Man, the world is gonna be a mess when you die, because when you die, all of wisdom's gonna die. Because you know it all. That's what he's saying. You're the people, and wisdom shall die with you. But he says, verse 3, But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Yea, who knoweth not such things as these? I am as one mocked of his neighbor, who calleth upon God, and he answereth him. And the, the just upright man is laughed to scorn. He that is ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. The tabernacles of robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are secure, into whose hand God bringeth abundantly, but ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, or they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee Who knoweth not all these things that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? Well what's he saying, guys they've basically been telling him, "Well, this is God doing this you know god is God is right and and man is sinful, and yeah that's true, and that's correct, and all of those things are right, but guys that's not you know everyone knows that you're not revealing something here that nobody 's ever thought of before now i I want to be careful about this because it's not as though just because we're stating something that is known and obvious that that's wrong. We just have to consider the, the 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 timing and 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 the appropriateness of when to say what. There are times, for lack of a better term, that we don't cast our pearls before swine. I remember being told as a kid, you don't have to say everything you're thinking. Job's friends would have been better off learning that. I might be thinking that it's it's almost like they're thinking out loud. When I read the book of Job, I read it as though there are these five men, Job, his three friends, and Elihu, who's this guy who just kind of shows up at the end of the book. And then there's me, and I'm just sitting there listening to the conversation. And it's like Job is trying to reason through, God, why is this happening? And his friends are throwing in their input, but they don't have it figured out either. They really would have been better just to not state the obvious, the things that everybody clearly knows, if they would have just kept their mouth shut and listened, rather than speaking. Why? Because they were factually correct, but they were lacking in their understanding. There are times, friends... That the best thing we can do is simply acknowledge that we don't understand. We don't understand all the things. Why do, why do these tragic things happen? I, don't, I mean, there's sin in the world. We know that that's a general answer. We live in a sin-cursed world and things happen. But why did this befall you? I don't know. Boy, these these men would have done a lot better to say, Job, we don't understand it either. God's ways are higher than our ways, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and we may never understand. Rather than accusing, rather than speaking the obvious, to simply admit they didn't understand. Now we have the benefit of hindsight and we can look back and we can point to some things that God was doing in all of this. But the reality is even you and I don't fully understand why these things happened to Job. And there are things that I've walked through trials and valleys that I've walked through that I can get out the other side and I can look back and I can see the hand of the Lord and I can see His working and I can see things He did. I can praise Him for it. But that doesn't mean I always understand why. We don't always understand. We have to be willing to simply trust that God does. That was where their advice and their comfort fell short. But I want to show you where comfort really is fulfilling. What is the best thing we can do to comfort other people and to help them in a time of sorrow? Go back to chapter 16, if you would. Job chapter 16, where comfort is fulfilling. Verse number 5, Job 16, verse 5. Job says, but I I would strengthen you with my mouth. And the moving of my lips should assuage your grief. He said, if you were going through this, I'd help you. I'd try to encourage you. How would he do that? Look at verse number 20 of the same chapter. My friends scorn me, but mine eye poureth out tears unto God. Listen to what he's saying. You're talking to me, but I'm talking to God. You read through this. And Job talks a lot about his grief. But what he's saying is, I'm not talking to you guys. I'm talking to him. Then he says, verse 21, Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. Guys, I'm talking, but I'm talking to God. You're talking to me. Can I ask you to talk to God for me? Do you know that honestly, one of the best things that we can do for other people, and I know it sounds cliche, but it's not, pray for them. Pray for them. And I don't mean, I think this gets thrown out there too flippantly these days. Oh, I'm praying for you. Are you really? You know, to tell someone you're going to pray for them and to not do it is a lie. To tell someone you're praying for them and you're not is a lie. Don't just tell someone you're praying for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Job says, I'm talking to God about this. Would you guys basically hush up and don't talk to me? Talk to Him? That's what I need. I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray on my behalf. If you want, if there's someone in your life who's going through a time of grief and trial and difficulty, the best thing you can do for them is pray for them. Bear the burden with them. Grieve with them. And pray with them. Pray for them. Secondly, not only prayer, but pointing them to the Lord. I want to skip forward quite a bit more again. Chapter 35. Why? Because chapter 35, I think it starts about 35. 32 or 33, this man, Elihu, comes on the scene. Now, he's not one of Job's three friends. He's a friend. We don't know exactly where he came from. Uh, you know, he, he just kind of shows up in the conversation. And he basically says, All right, guys, I've been keeping my mouth shut because you're all older than me, and I thought you'd have something worth listening to, <laughs> but I was wrong. And then Elihu begins to talk. And as Elihu begins to talk, there is a different tone to Elihu's speech. Now some of the things he says are very direct, and some of the things he says might even sound harsh. But I think it's worth noting, God rebukes, at the end of the book, He rebukes the other three friends. He does not rebuke Elihu. So that tells me there's something that Elihu has to say that must be worth listening to. In chapter 35... Look at verse number 9. Here Elihu's talking, and he says, "...by reason of the multitude of oppressions they make the oppressed to cry. They cry out by reason of the arm of the mighty. But none saith, where is God my Maker who giveth songs in the night? Who teacheth us us more than the beasts of the earth, and maketh maketh us wiser than the fowls of heaven." There they cry, but none giveth answer because of the the pride of evil men. Surely God will not hear vanity, neither will the Almighty regard it. Although thou sayest, thou shalt not see him, yet judgment is before him. Therefore, trust thou in him. Here is what Elihu is saying. Everyone is trying to reason this out and figure this out. But nobody is looking to God. What Elihu is saying is you need to look up. In a couple chapters, the Lord joins the conversation. And you know what he does? He talks not to Job's three friends. He talks to Job. And you know what he essentially says for about three chapters? Job, look up. Look up. See, here's the problem. Job is drowning in the circumstances. You can understand why. How overwhelming must that have been? Job's drowning in the circumstances. But then Job's three friends come in, and all they're trying to do is reason on this horizontal level of why these things are happening. Well, we know that God wouldn't allow this if it wasn't for your sin, Job. And they're pointing these fingers and trying to figure things out. And Elihu comes in and he says, Hey, why is nobody looking up to the Lord? And God comes into the picture and he says, Hey, Job, look up at me. Did you know one of the very best things that we can do for people? We pray for them, but we also point them to the Lord. And try and cause them to look up and lift up their eyes. We're in Job, hold your place here, but go to the book of Psalms. The next book, Psalm 121. I want to read this with you, Psalm 121. And notice what he says here in Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer Thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade on thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in, in this time forth, or from, from this time forth and even forevermore. What is he saying? I'm going to look to the Lord because my help comes from the Lord. Elihu said, Job, look up. God said, Job, look up. Look up. Don't look at the circumstances. Look up. Can I encourage you to point people to the Lord? To try and help them to look up at Him? We sing that song, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. As we go back to Job quickly, I want to show you where Job's real comfort came from. I understand it came from the Lord. That's clear. But look at Job 31, verse 35. Job 31, verse 35. Job says here, Oh, that one would hear me. And behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me and that mine adversary had written a book. Surely I would take it upon my shoulder and bind it as a crown to me. I would declare unto him the number of my steps. As a prince, I would go near unto him. Now, scholars tell us that the book of Job was probably the first book of the Bible written. It's that old. Probably the first book that was ever written. Now think about this. That means that when Job went through everything Job went through, he didn't have a Bible. He had nothing. He didn't have the Scriptures, but he longed for them. He calls God the Lord. He calls Him... His adversary here in this this verse, Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me, and that mine adversary had written a book. I, I just want God to listen, and I just wish that God had written a book so that I could understand. Now friend, again, I want to be clear, there are things that we'll never understand. But I sure am thankful... That I've got a book. That I have promises. That I have truth that I can cling to. That that, that I have scriptures that give me comfort and give me help. And friend, as, as, as others are walking through times of grief and sorrow, there is nothing wrong with simply opening the book and preaching truth to them. Because here's what Job said. Even though he didn't have a book, there were some things he knew about God That God had revealed to him in some way. And in Job chapter 19, he makes one of the most profound and powerful statements that I think has ever been uttered by any man, but especially someone in a time of deep sorrow and tragedy. Job 19, verse 25, here's what he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. What's he saying? I am in a point of absolute grief, and, and my reins, that's, that's a reference to the, the inner organs, specifically the renal organs, like the kidneys, my reins within me, he says they're consumed. It's like I'm being eaten up on the inside with grief. But I love that he says, that, that statement in verse 25, for I know. You know where Job's comfort came from? It didn't come from how he felt. It came from what he knew. And the best thing for Job was that he knew, as bad as things are in this life, one day this body's going to die, and it's going to go into the ground, it's going to rot, but I know that the God that I serve is a living God. I know that He's going to stand on the earth someday. He had pretty good eschatology, by the way. For a man who didn't have a Bible, I know that he's gonna stand on the earth and I know that I'm gonna see him in my flesh. Job believed in a bodily resurrection. Isn't that amazing? Job believed in a bodily resurrection and the Bible clearly tells us that there is coming a day when a trumpet is gonna sound and when that trumpet sounds, the dead are going to be raised incorruptible. And this mortal flesh is going to put on immortality. And we're going to be caught up to be in the presence of the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord, the Bible says. And that is the blessed hope of the believer, is it not? That this life is not the end. But there is a better day coming. That there is an eternal future and there, there is hope. And Job was able to say, regardless of how I feel, as I, I am in such deep sorrow, such deep grief, At least there's one thing I know. Can I ask you, friend, do you know? Do you know that no matter what happens in this life, that there's a better day coming for you? That when the Lord calls His children home, that you will be with them? Do you know that you will spend eternity in the presence of the Lord? Do you have that confidence and assurance? You see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 19, that if in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. If all that we have is this life and this world, it doesn't matter how good this world could ever be, we're miserable because our confidence and our hope doesn't rest here in this temporal, fallen, corrupted world, our hope rests assured in the knowledge that Christ lives, is returning, and has a home prepared for us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I am thankful that I know. doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are that come into my life and make me feel overwhelmed. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that I'll see Him. I know that one day, we sang that song, What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Do you know that? Do you know that you'll see Him someday? The Bible tells us we can know. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Friend, if you don't know that today, can I encourage you, don't leave here, don't leave this building without knowing. The Bible is very clear on how a person can be born again, how we can be saved and know that we are saved, our sins are forgiven, and that we have a home in heaven. God wants you to know. That's where comfort comes from, in knowing.